this. Open your Bibles tonight to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter number 18. I want to begin by reading four different verses and then we'll we'll look at uh, some of the rest of this chapter in, in a bit more depth later on. 1 Samuel, raise your hand when you get there. Wow, all right, y'all did good. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse number 5, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all of the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now verse number 14, and David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Verse 15, Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. Now verse number 30, And then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they had went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. As I was sitting there waiting for the service to start, a couple of thoughts came to my mind in regards to the matter of our behavior as Christian people. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 2 speaks about the, the fact that bishops must be of good behavior then that's it's a pastor being of good behavior titus chapter 2 and verse 3 speaking about the aged women it says there that they that that they must be in behavior as becometh holiness god puts a premium on behavior it's not all about what we believe it's also about how we behave. And uh, a lot of times, you know, we get the believing part right, but when it comes to the behavior, sometimes we don't score so well. And I was thinking about that as I was thinking about the message tonight, and the title of the message is uh, The Best Behavior. Originally, I had no idea that this message fits so well, at least in my mind, with the message this morning when we talked about Enoch and him walking with God in those horrible, terrible days before the flood. Uh, but, uh, but here, uh, again, we see something that has to do with the manner in which we walk. And as we read this chapter, it's amazing how soon serious situations can arise out of great success. None of us have to live very long before we discover that life is actually a series of conflicts. You know, we, and oftentimes they're from unexpected places. And it really gets hectic whenever these conflicts begin to overlap one with another. You know, that forces us to deal with more than one issue at a time. 
and, and, and I'm sure that's the way David felt in this situation because it wasn't just one thing, you know, that, okay, I can deal with that, but then there's another issue that comes up, and it just seems to be that's the way it was with his life, you know. We, we look back in chapter number 17, and we see David here in conflict with the giant, but now we see David in conflict with the government in this chapter. Saul was against him, but there's another player in this conflict that generally we don't notice, I don't think, and that's the gentleman himself, David. You know, it just might be that the greatest foe that David faced was David. But four times in this chapter, four times in this one chapter, we read the statement concerning David that he behaved himself wisely. You know, that's remarkable to me. I don't know how that hits you, but uh, that's remarkable to me. Four times in these difficult situations, he behaved himself wisely. You know, I've preached about the verse that speaks of David as being a man with a perfect heart and the fact that, uh, you know, that David was a man after God's own heart. And there are all kinds of different statements regarding the character of David that we could talk about. But to me, uh, this, I think, just really sums it all up. He behaved himself wisely. So here he is walking wisely among those wicked people that would do him harm. Uh, it's amazing that he maintained his composure. You know, that's one thing. When something goes wrong, to maintain your composure. That is, you know, you, 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 you feel like punching somebody in the nose, but no, you're not going to do that. But he not only did that, but he controlled his conduct. And that, you know, that's, that's a different thing. Maintaining your composure and saying, you know, I'm not going to punch you in the nose today. That wouldn't be the Christian thing to do. But whenever, whenever you control your conduct to the extent that then you begin to do good that, to those that do evil toward you, that's another degree of success. And then it goes beyond that whenever we look at the story and we think about the fact that he continued to contribute to his country. It would have been easy for him to say, look, look I've, man, I've had, I've had it. I've had enough of this. I'm out of here. I, you know, I've often thought about Moses when he's leading the children of Israel. And, of course, he pitched his little fit because of the fact. And, and I can understand that. I can understand, you know, him trying to lead those people and they're murmuring and they're complaining. And finally, you know, he pitched a fit and God said, all right, you're not going to you're not going to enter into the promised land with them. You know, I'll use you to get them there, but you're not going to enter in. Wouldn't that have been a great time to say, I resign? Why? Why is he going to lead those people and put up with all of those difficulties for the rest of the time when he knows he's not going to enter in? I'll tell you, most preachers would have said, I quit. I'm going into retirement. You know, I'm going to do something else because there's nothing in it for me. But Moses cared more about the needs of the people than he did his own comfort. And that's why he continued to lead them. I think the same thing's true of David. David could have said, you know, I've got the most powerful enemy on earth, the government against me. And, and, you know, he doesn't appreciate what I've done. You know, I'm quitting. I'm leaving here. And by the way, David wasn't perfect. 
David made some mistakes along the way. But it's remarkable that it, over and over again it says he behaved himself wisely. And if we're going to walk with God like Enoch did, we have to walk wisely. Now, when we look at the story, I want you to notice the, the three things that stands out. First of all, let's go back to verse 5, and we see David's fame. I, I want you to get the picture here because it says, And David went out. Uh, whithersoever Saul sent him, and he behaved himself wisely, and Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all of the people, and also on the side of Saul's servants. And it came to pass, as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets and with joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Get the picture here. This chapter is opening up in the beginning just before that with the development of a lifelong friendship between David and Jonathan. And now there's going to be a parade. And you look at that and you think, wow, everything is going great. I mean, here's a man that even though he did not seek it, he has achieved fame. His victory over the Philistine. Now the women are dancing in the street. There's a parade. They're celebrating, singing praises to David and he's just defeated the enemy. He's been promoted, by the way. I left that out. Promoted to lead the army. Yeah, you know, I've just got a gut feeling that maybe Saul felt under pressure that I got to do something with this guy, you know, and so he put him in charge of the army. So you could say his popularity is off the charts. It's a sight to behold. He has friends, he has fame, everything's looking good. But there is a foe lurking in the shadows. And, and just as everything looks so good, everything's going his way. He has friends. He has fame. He has power now. He's the head of the army. Everybody is celebrating his greatness and what have you. And up jumps the devil. And now, beginning in verse 8, our attention shifts from his fame to his foe. And he continues right on down through verse number 30. And, and as I think I said, sometimes our enemies arise out of unexpected places. And that's sure the case here. Because, you know, if anybody should have appreciated David, you would have thought it would have been King Saul, right? I mean, boy, to, to think about the fact that you, you now have a man in charge of your army that's able to do what David did. I, in, in reality, David was the chief asset to Saul. Uh, he could have been the best friend of Saul. There was no reason for Saul to hate David, but he did. And it was jealousy, no doubt, that, that caused him to not be able to rejoice on David's behalf. There's four things about this. Notice, beginning in verse 8, he despised David, verse 8 and 9, and Saul was very wroth. And that, you know, in Ozarks we would say he's madder than an old wet hen. And the saying displeased him, and he said, and by the way, the saying was the women saying Saul killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And that displeased him, and he said, 
They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And saw I David from that day forward. Boy, things are going to turn now in a hurry because while everybody else is happy and they are all rejoicing, he's upset because David's getting all of the attention. And you know that that people like that in the world today, people that love the spotlight, people that want all of the attention, and 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 you know, and and somebody will maybe get a new car, a new house, or get a promotion or whatever, and it just it irritates them. They can't even rejoice with other people when something good happens, and that's what we're seeing here. David hasn't done anything wrong; he's done everything right. And yet he is despised, not just by somebody, but by the king. You know, all of that goes to show that whenever a person's heart is evil, they don't need a reason to despise other people. You know, uh, they hate people, you know, that who have never harmed them in any way whatsoever. It's just because of the evil that is in their heart. And that's certainly true of Saul. Remember, Saul was the people's choice. That wasn't God's choice. God allowed it. The people said, you know, we want, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. We want a king also. They've got kings. We want a king, you know. By the way, that's quite an insult to God, you know. We're not satisfied with you leading us. We want a king like like other nations have kings. And, and so the Lord said, okay, I'll give you a king. And by the way, he gave them a king, you know, a great, big, tall, strong man that seemingly had everything going for him. You know, looking at it from the human standpoint, Saul was everything that you would, you know, that you would look for in a king. And, and he is the choice the people made, and God allowed them to, to have him. Well, now we see the ugly results of man getting his way instead of allowing God's will to be done. They have a king. They wanted a king. Well, they got one, and they've got one that they're going to live to regret. But right now, the focus is on David and his hatred of David. And notice, not only did he despise David, verse number 10 now, he determined to kill David. You know, it's one thing to despise someone. It's another thing when you actually determine that you're going to kill them. Verse 10, And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. I mean, this, this is serious. He, he's going to kill David. You know, I've often wondered, why don't you just demote him? Put somebody else in charge of the army, you know. Get him off of the front lines. Get him out of the spotlight. Well, simply because he knew that the people were not going to forget, you know, the great thing that David had done. He knew that. And he thought, the only remedy for my problem is just to totally get rid of this guy. You know, the fact of the matter is he's already a murderer in his heart, according to what Jesus said. Because of that hatred, he is already 
a murderer. Do you know that the only thing that keeps some people from, from crossing that fine line between murder and hate is the fear of punishment? That's the only thing that holds them back. They're afraid they'll get caught. They're afraid they'll be punished. And they hate people. They despise them to the point that they want to get rid of them. They would kill them except for the fact that they know that it's going to deprive them of their pleasure. So this is the picture. Only Saul is, has thrown the javelin. And twice he's tried to pin David to the wall and, and he's missed his target. Now... Look at verse number 12, because the next step, he despised David, he determined to kill David, that didn't work, so he comes up with another scheme, and that is to deceive David. And Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him. It, it, isn't that a great testimony, by the way? You know, for, for somebody to say, well, you know, uh, one thing about, I don't like that guy, but I'll tell you one thing, the Lord's with him. And that became obvious to Saul that the Lord was with David. Notice, and he says, and was departed from Saul. And therefore Saul removed from him and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. Notice, now he's been demoted here. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Again, that is so remarkable. Everything is turning against David now. His life is in danger now. And uh, he's, he's been made a captain over a thousand instead of the head of the army. And he behaved himself wisely, notice, in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Verse 15, wherefore, when Saul... Saul, that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. And Saul said to David, now here we go with this, with this scheme. Behold, my elder daughter, uh, Merab, her will I give thee to wife. Only be thou valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul and uh, said, let not mine hand be upon him. But let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. Nice guy, huh? Yeah, you know, let not my hand be upon him. What he's really saying is I tried to kill him twice and it didn't work, so I've got to come up with a better idea than that. And so I'm just going to put him out there in battle somewhere and let the Philistines kill him. And, he, and David said unto Saul, Who am I? And what is my life or my, fam my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? In other words, Saul had said, look, I'll give you my daughter and you can, you can become my son-in-law. Wow, boy, that, that's prestigious, you know. You be my son-in-law. Uh, you'll be somebody. Well, he's already somebody, but, uh, but you know, to be the son-in-law to the king... <laughs> How'd you like to have Saul for your father-in-law, by the way? You know, but but that was the idea. And can you imagine? And we've been talking about how evil Saul was, but to you know to think about that that you're going to put your daughter in the hands of a man that you're getting ready to send out there and allow him to be killed by the Philistines. No, he didn't care whether he broke her heart or not. Didn't make any At this point, he doesn't care anything about anybody 
but himself. That's all that he has. And we could read on seeing that in all of this, notice verse 18, but it came to pass at the time when, when Mira, uh, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given unto Adriel, the Maholathite, to wife. Boy, you talk about a, a crooked deal. I mean, that's it. And all of this was done just trying to provoke David to anger. And what he wants is for David to play the part of a fool, but his plan didn't work because, as you see in verse 30, David behaved himself more wisely than all of the servants of Saul. So even though he has devised this scheme and and uh, and in doing this, he's taking advantage of, of of David's loyalty. Remember that David said, "You know who who am I and who is my father's house?" You know, in other words, I'm willing to do this. I'll go out and challenge the enemy. I'll fight the battles. You know, I'll risk my life. I mean, who am I? He is is loyal to Saul and loyal to the people. And Saul knows that. And he's taking advantage of that. He knew David would not refuse the challenge and especially with the reward attached to it that you can have my daughter as your wife. You know, in some form or another, that same kind of stuff still goes on today. People taking advantage of the love and the loyalty of other people. You know, there are husbands that will mistreat their wives and wives that will mistreat their husbands. There are parents that will mistreat their children and children that will mistreat their parents because they know that in one sense of the word they can do it and get by with it simply because they know that they love them so much that, that they'll suffer that injustice and they play off that. Look, you can't be kind to, to people without somebody taking advantage of it. It's the same thing for me to beggar out here on the street. You know, there might be some of them that they're going through hard times. They really do need help, and you can help them, and they will appreciate it, and, uh, you know, it, it'll be a good thing. Others are just taking advantage of you. You know, uh, love hurts, by the way, and love is a costly thing. And, and as wonderful as love is to think that some people, you know, would take advantage of that. I, I Looking back, and I, I was thinking, I noticed on Facebook, there's a little thing that popped up there in regards to a church back in Kentucky. I, I, I'd totally forgotten about. Uh, and uh, whenever I saw that, it reminded me of the times that I had been in that church and preached in that church and the pastors that, that were good friends of mine. And I'll never forget thinking back to the manner in which that church had treated some of its pastors in depriving them of a decent income and just being uncooperative. And simply because they knew this was a godly man, they knew they could get by with it. They knew he would... He's a man that I've often referred to as probably the wisest preacher that I've ever met. He was an old educated, uneducated preacher uh, and uh, just a great man of God. And, and I'll never forget one day I'd gone to, a, gone to a fellowship meeting there and I'd preached that morning. We broke for lunch and he said, Brother Stone, he said, can I talk with you a little while? And 
Now, I mean, I thought he was Moses. He's an old preacher, you know, and wise. And here I am, a young snot-nosed preacher. And I thought, what in the world does he want to talk to me about? I said, why, sure. Well, had all of these other preachers there. And so he said, well, let's go out in the car. We'll just sit in the car and talk. And I thought, boy, this is really getting odd now. And we got out there, and he began he began bawling. It just broke my heart seeing that old man cry. I just, I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, what in the world has gone wrong? He said, Brother Stone, I just, uh, he said, nobody knows yet, but he said, I'm going I'm, I'm to be resigning Sunday. He said, I'm going to give the church my, my resignation. And I'm not going to go into much of detail or anything like that because another dear friend of mine took that church after, after he left. But I tell you, if that church had treated that man right, uh, that would have never happened. I believe that with all of my heart. And I could go on telling more and more and more stories of situations like that, of churches that took advantage of the love and the loyalty of a pastor simply because they knew that he was not going to do something rash and do something that would reflect on his character and cause him to do something foolish. That's what's going on here. Saul sees an easy victim in his mind. You know, David loves his people, this nation, so much, and he is so loyal to me. I know David's going to swallow this hook, line, and sinker. And to just put some icing on the cake, I'll promise him my daughter, and then I'm going to send him out into war in a situation where, where he'll be killed. And so here we see all of this evil plotting, this scheme against him. And naturally, that backfired, and that brings us to the third part of the message. Not only do we see his fame and his foe, but we see David's faithfulness. You know, from this story, we see that people are not always kind. And, and we see also that people are not always appreciated. You won't always be appreciated like you should. Life isn't always fair. Things are not always easy. We see all of those lessons here in the story of David. And regardless of the good you do, there's going to be some opposition and there are going to be certain difficulties. Look, and I'm talking about things that you can't change. You can't change. There'll be people that you love that will mistreat you and you, you won't be able to change them. One of the biggest mistakes that young girls make is marrying some guy thinking, well, I know he's got this problem, that problem, but after we get married, I, you know, I'll, I'll change him. No, you won't. You know, he'll beat you down, maybe not physically, but he'll beat you down and take advantage of you. you know, you're not going to change him then. It'll be too late. And, and, and so it, it, it's so sad that that people are subjected to those kind of difficulties simply because, you know, of their love and their loyalty. And, and that's what's going on here. David couldn't change Saul. You know, he, he could have said, look, I'm going to make it my life mission to change that man. It wouldn't have done any good. But notice, David behaved himself wisely. Now think. Think of all of the tests that David was subjected to. First, there's promotion. Go back to the beginning. The promotion that he got. And then there was the popularity and the praise. 
And now it's turned to persecution. You know, any one of those things can cause a person to fall. A lot of times we think, you know, with persecution is the worst thing that could happen to them. You know, maybe not. With some people, it's getting the praise of others or getting a promotion. And in spite of all of this, verse 30 says, David was more wisely than all. And, and I hope that each one of us will look at this story and that we'll make it personal because we know what David did. The question is, what will we do? If we serve Christ, we can expect that there will be opposition. There are going to, going to be temptation. There are going to be problems. And, and there are going to be things that we have to learn to live with and, and hopefully overcome. And by overcome, I don't mean change the situation. I mean maintain our composure and live wisely even in a difficult situation. Problems never give us an excuse for bad behavior. We like to think they do. You know, you'd be amazing how many times men, for example, that, uh, that are wife beaters, literally physically beat their wives. And one of the most common excuses they use, well, she knows how to push my buttons. You know, she did this and she did that. They want to shift all of the blame over to her. If it hadn't been for her, if she'd kept her mouth shut, she knew, she knew what I would do. And she just went ahead and kept running her mouth. And finally, you know, yeah, I slapped her, I knocked her down or, you know, whatever. In some way, some way we try to justify our bad behavior because of the difficult situation that we're in. And um, every difficulty puts us to the test. A lot of times we don't think about that, you know. We think about temptation to sin, that being the test of our character. But, you know, our trials also put the pressure on us because you know whenever somebody is getting their way in in every way everything's going their way i mean they're in good health and they're popular and they're they're famous and uh, they've got money a little jingle in their pockets and and you look at them and everything's going their way and boy they seem to be a really okay kind of a guy you know but boy, the very minute, the very minute that things start working against them, all of a sudden you see their true colors because all of a sudden they begin to change. And I said, those difficulties put us to the test. And sadly, a lot of people don't pass the test. You know, for some people, it doesn't take anything to provoke them to to foolish behavior just you know the slightest provocation will cause them you know to get angry and do something foolish or you know they might pout they might uh, stir up trouble uh, or might just quit they you know in church situations people do that a lot of times uh, you might think boy this is the most loyal person i've ever seen in church they're so faithful yeah they're that way until all of a sudden something happens they don't get their way the vote didn't go their way they didn't get you know what they were wanting and as a result of that you know they either pout or they get angry and they vent their frustration and usually when they do that they usually try to recruit others over to their side and if they see they can't do that the next step is well, the Lord's leading me somewhere else. God gets blamed for a lot of stuff that he didn't have anything to do with.
But that's their excuse, you know. The Lord's leading me somewhere else, and so they just quit and throw in the towel and go somewhere else. And lo and behold, you know, they eventually cause problems there. Now, here's the whole point, that we as Christian people, the spotlight is on us whether we like it or not. That's why I started out by saying, you know, the the pastor must be of good behavior. It's what Paul said to Timothy. And then he said to Titus, those older women in the church that are to be examples to the younger women, you know, their behavior must be as becometh holiness. And, And so people are going to measure us by our behavior. There's a lot of people that are not at all impressed by what you believe. You know, we can say, well, we are independent, unaffiliated Baptists, you know. We don't run with any crowd, boy. We believe in the church and the church, the bride of Christ. We believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, da, da, da. We can just go on and on and on. And uh, all of that, you know, oh, yeah, we're King James Version only. Don't forget that. And we are. I'm not mocking that, by the way. We, we are all of those things. But, you know, we, we talk about all of these doctrinal truths that we embrace. And that, that's well and good. But if our behavior doesn't measure up to the things that we claim we believe, what in the end, it makes the gospel repulsive to people. Instead of them receiving it, why? Well, the most common excuse for people not coming to church is what? Well, there are just too many hypocrites in the church. That's the number one excuse that people use. Too many hypocrites in the church. I'm not going to church anymore. I tried it for a while, but there are just too many hypocrites in the church. Well, there there are hypocrites in the church. There's no doubt about that. But a lot of people in the church that you think are hypocrites are not really hypocrites. They're born-again Christian people that love God. They're just struggling and they're failing. They're not hypocrites. But let's face it, sure, there are some hypocrites. But there are hypocrites, you know, that you buy your groceries from some of them and your insurance from some of them. There are hypocrites everywhere, you see. We can't let their failure become our downfall. And we're not going to be able to change them. And the only thing we can do is control our behavior. And boy, when we fail, it's a sad indictment against us, our character, and the very name Christian to think that we failed the test. And make no mistake about it, we're all going to be put to the test. We're all going to be pushed to the limit. You're not going to escape that. Here's David trying to do everything right, trying to avoid trouble. And lo and behold, trouble finds him. And it it, it came from a man that should have loved him and supported him and helped him in every way, but it didn't. And yet, in spite of all of that, David behaved himself wisely. Boy, if we can just leave here tonight determined that by the grace of God, with His help, that whatever you face, whether it's at school, whether it's on the job, whether it's a domestic issue, or wherever it is, whatever you face this next week, whatever difficulty you encounter, remember what David did. He behaved himself wisely, which is precisely what 
the Lord tells us to do in the New Testament. Amen? And, and, and by doing that, you know, David prospered. Maybe I should say God prospered David as a result of that because, you know, we think about David. Look, if you set yourself against Saul, remember David had an opportunity to kill Saul. Here Saul was out on the mission. He was going to kill David, and David's men found Saul asleep in a cave because he's out on this mission to get David. And, uh, you know, David's men said, this is your chance. You can get rid of your problem right here. You, you can solve your problem one swift stroke of your sword and, you, and your problem is over. And David, in so many words, said, I can't raise my hand against the king. That's the king there. And, and so David just took his knife and slid off a little part of his garment to show him later, look, you think I'm your enemy? I could have killed you, and I didn't. And then, and to show you what a remarkable, remarkable man David was, David got to feeling bad because he had done that. He felt, you know, that he had disgraced the king. So here he is apologizing and repenting for having cut off that little piece of the king's garment even. Well, you talk about a tender heart. Well, well that's why the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. And that's the kind of person that God, that God can use in whatever way and in whatever generation. So may God help us to behave ourselves wisely in regards to all things. Well, let's stand together. We're going to be dismissed in just a moment, but I, I feel I'd be remiss if we didn't have a verse of invitation. A lot of times, you know, you think of a message and you think, well, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how anybody would respond to a message like that, but... You know, I'm not the Holy Spirit. It might be God's dealing with your heart about something seemingly totally unrelated to the message tonight. Let me tell you, the wise thing to do, the wise thing to do is to give in to whatever God's telling you to do. Say, Lord, I'm through. I'm not going to struggle with you anymore right here, right now. I give up and, and start walking wisely and living for Him. Let's sing. 510.